Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all. And uh, I see we still have power for the time being. Um, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> just want to introduce myself to those who do not know me. Um, my name is Karnu, Karnu van Jerden. If you struggle to remember my name, just think about a new car and turn it around, Karnu, there you go. You just don't spell it that way. Um, well, at this point, it's quite ironic because I don't have a vehicle, so it should be Carno at this point. But, um, oh, thanks, Johan. Mm. But um, I just want to say it's an honor for me here to be here tonight with you all. Um, and I want to thank the elders of uh, Dialog for allowing me to come and share the message of Scripture with you tonight. And um, again, I'm quite thankful. Um, I've been attending Dialog for uh, some time now. I usually come in the evening, so I know a bit more people uh, than in the morning services. But um, it's always I'm reminded when attending Dialog, I remember when Dialog sort of got going way back when, I would always come and visit up from Potchefstroom and uh, come and see how everyone is doing. And as I keep visiting in and between the years, just seeing how Dialog has grown um, is a great encouragement to see it, to see, especially when I was at the morning services, all the families and everyone coming together, and um, also here tonight, seeing uh, everyone from all different walks of life, still in, especially in the, now in the winter, and it's dark, and you know, load shedding and stuff, but still everyone still comes together. It's just wonderful to see, and again, I just want to say I'm thankful that I could uh, be a part of this and speak to you all tonight. So, just to kick off tonight, just, I'm going to kick it off with a question. There we go. Um, who's ever been in a conflict situation? Okay, I only see a few hands, so maybe tonight's sermon is not necessary. I think we can go home. Now, okay, so basically everyone has been in a conflict situation. Have you ever had to forgive someone if they have offended you? Not like, ach, bra, it's okay. No, like really, like forgive. Yeah. If you ever had it, you can raise your hand. Forgiveness is good. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Okay, you had to forgive. Have you ever had to go and ask someone for forgiveness? Too many times. Too many times. <laughs> okay. I see, especially all of the couples and the married people are like, yep, yep, yep. Uh, but no, it's um, <clears throat> why I'm asking that is um, I want to also ask this. It's, it's not an easy thing, is it? It's not, but it's important. And so, on that note, I think it's a good introduction for us here on what we're going to talk about tonight, about the importance of forgiveness and basically when conflict is not handled correctly. Because conflict is a fact, okay? It is unavoidable, especially in our sinful world. So we're not going to deal with the fact of conflict, but sort of the act of conflict. So what I did there, you know, one-liner, you can put it on Instagram. Um, but basically, the act of conflict, how we address conflict, how we're supposed to go about it, is really important. It has major consequences. You would think that a conflict that you have with just one individual person is just a thing. Well, I have beef with that person. It's just something between us. And that's where it ends. But, um, yeah, I don't think so. Like Inspector Jacques Clouseau says in the movie Pink Panther, no man is an Island. 
Um, so basically, you're not alone. What you believe and how you handle this will have a greater effect on those around you, and we're going to have a look at this. So if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. So we're still in the letter of Corinthians, and um, yeah, Corinthians is a fascinating uh, letter. Uh, to say the least, it's a picture of an extremely dysfunctional uh, congregation, and we are quick to say, well, yeah, those Corinthian people were crazy, you know, um, but and we still see that stuff happening today. And uh, usually I think when we read Corinthians, instead of like, well, you know, those crazy Corinthians, and maybe it reflects a bit more of what we are like uh, as well, because sin has remained a constant throughout human history. But um, so, yeah, getting back to it, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 11. So, uh, here we go. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to, the, uh, to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you, in, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revivers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, uh, there's a lot in that passage, okay, and there's a lot we can definitely pack out, and, but it's also in that passage where you sort of see Paul is talking about one topic, and here at verse 9, he just switches abruptly. It seems like he's switching abruptly, but there's a reason why, and so we'll get to that. But firstly, Paul is talking about one, well, one amongst the many issues in the Corinthian church, the issue of conflict, basically, how the Corinthians are dealing with conflict amongst themselves. Keep in mind, he is specifically speaking to the Corinthian Christians, those who are in the church, okay? So we need to pay that in mind. So basically what the Corinthians were doing, it seems, they were having conflicts amongst one another, according to Paul, things that are quite trivial. Now, I also want to qualify this. This does not mean we should not, you know, if an injustice is committed, don't go to court or don't handle it or whatever. Um, I know I used this illustration this morning. I'll use it again. If Brother Gior burns down a hospital, um, you know, we're not going to be like, hey, turn the other cheek. You know, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> there needs to be, uh, 
there's grounds for uh, a legal approach. But what's being discussed in this passage has to do with things that are trivial, things that can be handled in the church quite readily, but it's not. It's being outsourced to the unbelieving world. And we sort of think, okay, that seems to be something, but how do we have any modern parallels? Well, um, we, I think I can think of a few, but for example, I just think one thing that's quite prevalent, it might not necessarily be in the strict legal court uh, sense, but for example, people usually take one another to the court of public opinion. How many times do we see that, in this, this is amongst Christians, unfortunately, way too much, to have people have a dispute instead of like, hey, sorting it out, I'll just post in social media how much of a scumbag that guy is. And so that's basically, you know, look at how terrible this person is. I saw this video once, and it's, it's, it's just crazy. It was this married couple, and they had issues. And basically, instead of sort of, communicating, doing the thing of, you know, getting the counseling if need be. You know what? I'm just going to post a TikTok about it. Look how bad my spouse is and look how bad. And when you see the comments in the court of public opinion, the advice is terrifying. Um, <laughs> from, it's like, well, just it's over, divorce. Uh, it's like, gee whiz, just on that. Um, I know they had a bit of a fight, but gee, that, that's that's bit bit drastic. Um, and so, unfortunately, we see this too much. We see maybe amongst friend groups there's a bit of a, a conflict, and instead of addressing it directly to one another, we would be like, well, no, I'm just going to go tell it to my other group of friends, and we'll get exacerbated together. You're not going to give them the full story. You're going to make them want to uh, see your side. You're not giving them the full context, and then, ah, oh, okay, you know, that person is bad, and then a one-on-one -on -one conflict eventually then becomes a gang fight. And so it's quite unfortunate. Another example is um, Johan told me this story about it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, so it's a very important site in Christendom. Um, basically, apparently, it is said to be built on Mount Golgotha. And so a lot of Christian traditions, basically all of the major traditions in Christianity, uh, go there and it's like it's a sacred site and we need to go and talk oh, we need to go and talk to the Lord maybe but we need to go and pray and do our stuff but the question was who owns the church building who is like and that's where the massive fight came in everyone was at each other's throats and this is for hundreds of years and no one can decide, is it the Greek Orthodox, the Roman Catholics some of the Protestants who gets to you know be the uh, the guy that opens up the church who has the keys to the church, to whom does it belong, basically. And it got so bad at a point that um, they just said, okay, no one can decide on anything, no one can come to an agreement, we'll just give the key to a Muslim. And so, <laughs> yeah, and that is, it, it's funny, but it's such a sad commentary on the inability. And I'm not talking here a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, young, immature Christians somewhere in the backwoods or something. These are some of the leaders in the great traditions of the Christian faith. And there can't even be a basic, like, okay, guys, we all kind of come here, we need to work something out. You tell me over the hundreds of years, there's nothing that they can do except giving it to an unbeliever. That's basically what Paul is talking about here. And that's, uh, again, to, to our shame. 
because um, another thing as well, when we speak to skeptics, and a lot of them could have objections to the faith in the realms of philosophy and history and all that type of stuff. At Rosh Christi, where I'm involved, we get to do a lot with those people, but usually when you typically get to your average skeptic on the street or church critic or I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious, um, basically, it's all boiling down to the same point. There's the thing, well, I don't trust the church because the church doesn't practice what it preaches. Why? Well, look at all the divisions, okay? Look at all the divisions. No one can agree on anything and everyone's fighting and everyone's calling each other a heretic left and right. Now, again, I don't want to make light of the history of Christianity. Uh, at some points in time, there have been good reasons for certain divisions to take place. It's not just, you know, this or that. But unfortunately, a lot of them, I would argue the majority, of divisions usually come where because people just, it's on the most trivial of things. People become hard-hearted. People don't want to hear the other side. Yeah, and unfortunately, people then just leave, and yeah, it just keeps on dividing. And um, it's a sad thing when, uh, and I'm, I'm saying this as sort of a reminder of where I used to be. I used to be very overstern regarding things. It's using the word heretic way too easily, um, and basically knowing that that word is extremely extremely significant. There's a place to use it. Really, there is, but that is a conversation for another time. But um, there, I've just, thinking back on that, and thinking how many churches, even today, it's just like, well, that person's a heretic, that person's a heretic because of this and this and that. Like, look, okay, maybe a brother might be deeply mistaken, but like, gee, was going all the way and saying that. It's... Um, it's not good, and I think if you do it without a responsible approach, you we basically damage the testimony of the Christ's church. And so Paul says as much when he speaks about it is to your shame, because throughout the text, he has a lot of questions to them. Don't you know we'll be judging angels? That's a fascinating thing if you want to talk about eschatology, but like how... In the end times, you know, humanity will sort of be presiding as judges over the angels. And Paul is like making these uh, questions, also asking the question, is there none a wise among you? That's not just the congregants. That's also a jab at the leadership. You're telling me even the eldership at this church aren't even wise enough to settle a common dispute amongst people. And he keeps hammering them with rhetorical questions. The questions sort of to... Help them understand, hello, it's obvious what you are doing is wrong. Can't you see it? Can you not see what this is doing? Not just to you because there's divisions in the church. If we read the broader passage or the context of Corinthians, we see it as a church that is deeply divided. I believe it's in chapter 1 and 2 where Chloe, Paul mentions how Chloe came to Paul and was like, look, they are, this, there's issues, okay? People are divided. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow... Division was a big thing, but there's not just division in the church. That's the problem. When he says it is to your, um, to your shame and to have lawsuits, uh, why not suffer wrong? Uh, but a brother goes against... A brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. 
So it's not just the thing of getting unbelievers involved in stuff we can easily organize and sort out in the church. But there's something to it. it if we can't even get our own stuff together, what is that going to project to the unbelievers outside of the church? Okay. And that's why these conflicts regarding trivial things, which Paul is really trying to expose to them, is something that's a big issue that they can solve, but they don't want to, is damaging the testimony of the church. That sort of comes back to the, the skeptics who basically say, well, look at this. People just say this and this and that. That happens because, again, people don't have the ability or lack the ability, don't want to, or whatever it may be, the point is we cannot solve our disputes in the church. Now, I don't want to comb every single church or every whatever, you know, gathering of believers under the same comb, but this, we can admit that this is unfortunately a prevalent problem, even to this day. And if we engage in this type of stuff, it is to, to our shame, we damage our testimony deeply, 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 deeply. Um, because Christianity is not just true, but it is good. And the goodness of the Christian faith, how it is supposed to transform the lives of the believers, is damaged when we can't even deal with this stuff properly. So um, this is where I want to sort of move over before we get to the practicality, because it's like, okay, there's conflict currently, but how do we solve it? Okay, we're going to get there, and we're going to go to a few passages to discuss that. But firstly, I want to now focus on the second half of Paul's message in that text after I take a sip of water. And we're back. Um, no sponsorship, sorry. Um, so the second half of this passage, Paul just switches and he talks about the transformed Christian life. When he says, do you, uh, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, do not be deceived. Then he mentions a long list of th sins. And the list is similar to the lists that appear in Galatians, in 1 Timothy, um, Ephesians. And so, um, but basically Paul is mentioning this list. And he said they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you think, okay, Paul, what are you trying to say? It's sort of, it, if you just glance over it, it's Paul, it seems Paul is just going off. Because sometimes when you read Paul, Peter was right. It's sometimes difficult to read Paul's stuff. It feels like he's going on a tangent. But you just got to push through, it's going to come back to it. But I believe what Paul is doing is basically showing the Corinthians that it is obvious to them that these list of things that he mentioned are sins, and they view it as sins, because he mentions some, so were some of you. It means that they have repented from those sins. They've experienced the transformed Christian life. But for people that have experienced the transformed Christian life, they engage in this activity of fickleness, triviality, and conflict, which is as much or maybe even more damaging um, in that context as those other sins, okay? So basically saying you can see all these things that I mention are wrong because you used to believe in those things and no, you're not doing it anymore. But the thing is, this is something that is actually quite obviously much more an issue and you just don't see it. That's why when he sort of says to your shame and also says there none wise among you, it's basically, is he dumb? Are you dumb? It's like, can you not see the obvious 
danger of this, uh, of this sin and of this practice that you're doing. And so his motivation is an appeal to the transformed Christian life, reminding them of their testimony. Because if they are reminded of their testimony, they know that there can be change. And even though they deal with the conflicts that they have there and then, if there is change for you in these things, there is definitely change for you here as well. So it's a fascinating sort of a double-take thing Paul does. Because the thing is about conflict, it, it does take a, a transformation. That's when, why I asked you at the beginning, when we talked about, asked the question on forgiveness, if you had to forgive or you need to, to ask to be forgiven, it's difficult. It's real difficult, okay? It ain't no three-step plan, okay? Um, and it's, it really takes a Christ-like character because the natural propensity of humanity, and it's, that's just how sin has deeply affected us, is, well, you can't conflict, you know? It's like basically you need to, you're the problem, uh, you can just go get away from me. You're, it's, I'm, I'm right. How dare you say this? How dare you say that? Especially in our world today where everyone is just offended by everything. It just becomes difficult to have any sort of meaningful, not just conversation, but relationship. Because when we talk about forgiveness, you need a stable foundation to build on if you are going to practice forgiveness. Okay, because sometimes when you seek forgiveness, there might not even in the end be a good result, but you need to have your heart sanctified and your heart clean. So, to the practical elements of this, because we see there's obviously a problem, okay? There's a problem, not just in Corinthians, there's a problem now that we're facing now, and we know, okay, transformed Christian life, how do we do it? Well, it's fascinating, we actually have some guidelines in Scripture, which have been given to us as Christians to solve our disputes within the church. So I'll firstly point to Matthew chapter 18. So we can all go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. There we go. Okay. So the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, specifically verses 15 until 20. So, um, here we go. This is Jesus speaking. Okay. So, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him uh, be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So, um, I think there's some practical tips there that Jesus gave on um, handling conflict in the church. Again, with the Corinthian passage is addressed to believers. I know that there may be questions. We can handle it in the Q&A. What do we do if we have conflict with non-Christians? That's a whole different ballgame. Okay. 
but with regards to the issues in the church. Um, Jesus mentions basically, well, there is a three-step plan then. Yeah, Jesus mentions three steps, three things you can do. The first thing is just where the offense has been committed, instead of just blowing it out of proportion. And look, I'm not saying that it's easy, and if you just do this, you'll have a prosperous life, and, you know, praise the Lord, you're blessed. You know, I'm not saying that. It's going to be difficult. If you need some time to cool down, do that first. Be slow to anger. What we are, we're doing it in, in Bible study with, uh, with Hanyu and them. We're doing James, slow to anger, especially when they cut the power lines in our neighborhood, slow to anger. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's, you just, it's wise to gather yourself, but then the conflict needs to start where, uh, the resolution needs to start where the conflict began between the two parties that were directly involved. And Jesus says, if your brother hears you and you saw it, Shana, it's great. Okay, it's, it, then uh, you have won your brother. Okay, but then there's an escalation if there's not a willingness. If you have a, have a conflict with a fellow Christian and there doesn't seem to be any progression. A lot of people just stop there and say, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. It's like, uh, I'm going to live my blessed life, you may li live your blessed life. And it's like, okay, I, I can understand why people say that, but I think that's our modern individualism that is sort of affecting us there because we're missing the next step. We need to, as far as we can, seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. That's why Jesus said, go then and bring a few people with. And not your chomis and your gang, uh, which are going to like, you know, shout you on and then you're going to have that gang fight scenario. No, go and bring... Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, I've, you've seen this, like, oh, you said this about her, well, I'm a friend, and then you, you're attacking me as well. Um, take mature Christian believers with you, um, preferably elders in the church, people that have experienced conflict. Um, people that know how to guide through it, mediators, wise mediators, take them with and see if you can not solve this. If it's still not being solved, this goes to the third phase. It escalates to a thing where the whole church gets involved. Now, this is something extremely strange when we hear this because in our modern world, <laughs> uh, affected so much, especially influence from the West, the sort of individualism, it's like, well, it's just my stuff. I'll just deal with it. It's, we'll just deal with it here on our own. But if it's not being controlled, then more authorities need to step in. And so this is just a natural escalation. Because think about, again, how we discussed how con this conflict damages the testimony of the church. You would think that the conflict you have with someone is just something between you two. Yes, maybe for a while. But it can really get out of control. I've unfortunately been witness to this sometimes, seeing how uh, friends of mine, I didn't see it directly, but friends of mine told me how their church sort of just ripped apart because a conflict that just kept going and the fire just kept growing and no one handled it correctly. It basically ripped the whole church apart. And um, yeah, that one conflict between that, those two guys that said something or they offended one another just spiraled out of control. The whole church picked size and the church just re basically wrecked itself. And um, so, yeah, what you conflict you have is involving the other people in the church as well. For the moment you call yourself Christian and you act in every way contrary to uh, to the way of Christianity, to Christ's example as he provides to us, you are 
damaging the testimony of the Christian church. In effect, if we use the examples what the Israelites did to, uh, with Yahweh in the Old Testament, Yahweh says, you blaspheme my name through your ungodly behavior. And so this is serious stuff, and I think that's why Jesus mentions that last and final step, go before the whole of the church. And, I, and all my life, I've only seen this happen once. Um, and it's, um, it's tough. It's really tough. But um, the whole point is not just to go and shame someone. It's like, you know, stop being such a bad person, blah, 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 and hit them with the thickest King James you have. Don't do that. The point of the conflict and the confrontation and the rebuking is to bring someone back because Jesus says, if you, if you go to your brother, he listens to you, you have won him. Awesome. That's the whole point of it. If you bring the mediator and you solve the thing, you win, everyone is together again. Awesome. Amazing. If it's in front of the whole church and it is necessary to bring that, but the person comes back and the conflict is resolved, then amen, praise the Lord. But Jesus sort of makes the point that maybe sometimes it's not going to happen that way. And then that's how he says, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. So playing on the perception of the Jews, on uh, they, he's sort of playing with their words. They had a view of Gentiles and tax collectors. They sort of treated them with a mild disdain, to say the least. But Jesus is hijacking that, their understanding of, of, they applied it to the wrong people. They need to have love for the tax collectors and the Gentiles. But speaking within a Christian context, a brother that a, or a sister that have, has hardened their heart so much to a point that you've gone through all of the steps, you've pleaded, you've prayed, everything. Gee whiz, then the question of that person's salvation stuff really is on, on the table. And it's not me saying it. Jesus is saying this. It's, there's sort of a, this is where the whole notion of excommunication comes in, something that we don't talk about a lot in, in the modern church. But there is a place for it. And again, the whole thing is not to shun and you're an evil person and, you know, uh, be, be anathema. It's basically, it's for your sake. Paul mentions this in Corinthians. We'll probably get to it when he mentions the, the guys that are causing trouble. It's like giving them over to Satan. It's like, gee whiz, Paul, that's a bit harsh. No, but for their sake, that even if they are like, he explains, if they're inflicted in the flesh for the sake of their soul, that they should be able to come back um, to the fold. So the whole point of the rebuking and the direct confrontation is reconciliation to bring back. And um, just as a question, who has ever had to rebuke someone? Like we have a few, a few hands. And I'm not talking, it's like, yeah, don't do that. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you needed to really confront someone on something quite serious. So um, it, it's difficult. And I can share, I, I, I've been in situations um, where someone, a brother that I deeply love, really made a big mistake, big, big mistake. And it just spiraled out of control, and I needed to confront him. And it was difficult. It was really difficult. At one point, I did really think about getting the late King James and bashing him with it. But, uh, but I knew I needed to calm down. I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Because it's, the nature of what was committed was not just like, well, we'll just let it blow over. It was something serious, but I, I, I still love my brother, so what am I supposed to do? And I cannot tell you, reading these words of Christ and seeing the whole thing about how we should handle conflict in the Bible really helped me. I went to him. I was very harsh with him, very harsh. 
um, confronted him directly on multiple of things. But I praise the Lord, we are still friends, and he is in a place he repented. And um, yeah, and I still love him. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to see the reconciliation. But those first instances of the confrontation, gee whiz, it's difficult. It is so difficult. Because the thing is, we can, that we can be, fall into two traps. The one is, is that we just hammer, you know, just take the hammer and smash. And that's it. Okay. That's the one problem. The other problem is like we just avoid. It's like the whole burn, building is burning down. Oh, wow. Look at that. It's like, and there's just fire everywhere. Okay, you cannot avoid it. Avoidance will make it worse. So the whole point is you need to bring the two together. In the, well, not, well, avoid those two. Don't bring those two. You need to have the, the rebuking, the correcting, the truth, the harshness of it, but the love and the reconciliation, they both need to come together. And that's basically I want to sort of leave us with this. Um, the main thing that's going to help us with reconciliation, because there's a lot of work to do. Um, if you just look at South Africa, I mean, we have a lot of issues in this country. Um, but we have a lot of potential when we talk about reconciliation and stuff, especially amongst Christians um, of, of different races. And so a thing that's going to help us is, is the love of Christ. It might sound like, oh, that's the cliche. Well, it's true. It's a true cliche. There's a reason why it's a cliche to begin with, um, because it's true. Um, and I've seen this... Just again, as a testament, I really want to share this because this has had a big effect on me. And despite what the cynics say, um, I think they're wrong. I remember at Rasha Christi at Pochovstru many, many years ago, Johan came to speak. I don't know if you remember Johan, but uh, he came to speak on race. And that evening, say again? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but basically, you, that evening, we had people from everywhere. We had not just black people, but different black people from the different tribes of black people in our country. We had um, a group of people from the Northern Cape, a bunch of older colored gentlemen. Uh, we had white Afrikaans and white English, like Burki Afrikaans, and then, you know, like, yeah, Brurats, uh, Joburg, <laughs> English, like. And it was, everyone was, was in one sort of meeting, and it was fascinating to see this, and I remember that it was one of my favorite Rasha Christi meetings ever, and I appreciated Johan speaking on race and reconciliation, and gee, was it got heated. It, it, you got to realize that it got heated, because this uh, thing and that thing, and what about this, and it was really, really tough, but one thing, how, the crescendo moment came, when those colored gentlemen spoke up to speak, uh, stood up to speak, and they were Christians. Yo, and the stuff that they were saying and their own experience and how they fit into the whole race tension in South Africa and, you know, and in the end just ending off with the reality of the love of Christ and the reconciliation. I actually saw guys that evening, you know, this white Burki guy and I, I think one of the black guys who was a bit, I think, not directly involved but affiliated maybe with the EFF. They actually were willing to talk to each other. Is the thing is they both discovered they were Christians. And uh, it's that reality of like, I'm a Christian and you are. And this is what's happening here is not good. And But seeing that in real time, it's the seed of, of that reconciliation taking place. But sort of 
reminds me also speaking to Daniel about this in the week, about when we are speaking of true unification or uniting people together. We need, we need that transcendental truth, that transcendental story. All the existential books and all the fancy self-help stuff and the you know, lectures on five ways to influence people, I don't know what. It's, it's going to be useful, but it's not going to bind people together. The truth is if, if everyone has the shared identity of being disciples of Christ, and then the olive branch can be extended. Because what is the springboard for evangelism? What, what does Jesus say? Well, uh, what, is it, does he, what, what does he say regarding that which will display that we are his followers? Do you know? That's not a rhetorical question, I'm actually. The love amongst you, yeah. In John chapter 13, verses 35, Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. By this the world shall know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. That is like, we can have all the cool stuff in the conferences and, and, that, and that stuff is important and you know, even at, with the apologetic stuff, it's all necessary, it's all great and stuff, but the central key to our springboard and evangelism to the rest of the world, not just our internal just living with, with each other in the church, but like to reach the rest of the world is the love that binds us in the first place. Because we know that Christ loved us first so we can then love one another and that is how people, the first thing, how people will see um, that we are truly followers of Christ. So I want to encourage you. Look, again, I'm not standing here in front of you all and saying, oh, read the scripture and you'll be just changed. In and it's, um, I'm really admitting it's difficult. It really is. But think about who you are as a Christian, when you became a Christian. You know, you've probably thought about the love of Christ at some point in time um, and had a profound you know, I'm not saying everyone has this big experience, but you probably thought about what it means and it impacted your life in some sense if you're a Christian. And um, I want to encourage you to think back on that. Remind yourself daily of this love. Because our hearts grow cold. We live in this country and we just see all the stuff happening. Oh boy, it's so easy to become hard-hearted. It's the easy way. It's so easy. It's almost like a default. You just slide right in. But to go the other way, you need to be reminded what has happened to you as a Christian. And from there on, we, you can truly resolve true conflict. It's not going to be easy. It's not guaranteed it will end the way you think it will. But for the sake of your soul and the rest of the church and Christ's family, it is necessary and it is good. So, I, before we sort of just jump off for the q and just can I just pray for us? Um, now, just bow your heads together with me. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just want to come tonight and thank you for this wonderful opportunity as Christians together to gather in your name. We thank you for the love that you have shown us. Forgive us, Lord, for we are so fickle. We are prone to anger. We forget the love that you have shown us. Lord, for the issues of this world press down on us. It is easy to be given over to despair and hard-heartedness and cynicism and bitterness, Lord. I pray that you would remove that weed in our hearts, this leaven that leavens the whole lump, this sickness, Lord. We pray that you would remove it and truly show us anew again 
what it means to, to love one another, for this is the springboard of, of your gospel message. So simple, yet so deep and profound, Lord. Because when the world looks at the church, it should be strange. How is it that people from different places all over the world that are extremely dysfunctional and sometimes hold contrary things and just, it's, it's unimaginable if it was just any other institution, it would fall apart in the first, first day. But Lord, you have built your church over the millenniums and it is still standing. It's not standing because we're so smart and we're so awesome or whatever. No, we are the broken ones. We are fickle. We would rather leave than seek any reconciliation. But it is you, Lord, that build it. You bring the reconciliation. You are the one that binds us together. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you not just show us the example, but you live within us through our Holy Spirit to strengthen us to do these things. And I pray for us, everyone here tonight and all those who may be listening, that we would be strengthened. Let us be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, and be willing to extend the olive branch to our brothers and sisters. Swallow our pride and our egos. And if need be, if we need to cry and hug it out, Lord, then we do it. For this is not, this is not just for the sake of our own souls, but it is for the sake of your church and your name, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you forgive us when we have blasphemed your name. But we thank you again for all that you do, and we can know we can lay these things before you because you are a mighty, faithful, and loving Savior. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay.